Move by Mamma Mia is the exercise app for anybody, anywhere. Yes, that could mean you too. The workouts have been designed to fit into your life so you can move when you can. The 15 minutes you can squeeze in before work. The 20 minutes you get to yourself while the baby naps. The half hour you can spare at lunch. There's a routine for you no matter what your day looks like. A reminder as well, this is included in your Mum Mia subscription. If you are a Mum Mia subscriber, you already have access to Move. Download the Move app and log in with your Mum Mia login. Head to move.mamamia.com.au and use code MOVE10 to get $10 off a yearly subscription. You're listening to a Mamma Mia podcast. Mamma Mia acknowledges the traditional owners of land and waters that this podcast is recorded on. From Mamma Mia, hi, I'm Claire Murphy. Welcome to The Quickie, getting you up to speed daily. Earlier this week, we were told that Australia had just recorded the very first case of a female athlete suffering from CTE, chronic traumatic encephalopathy. The story of Adelaide Crows AFLW Premiership player Heather Anderson has a sad and tragic end. But could her death start a conversation that has so far only ever focused on men in sport? Today, we look at CTE in women and whether there's anything we can do to protect us from damaging our brains when we're enjoying the sports we love. But first, news headlines for Friday, July 7. Former Liberal staffer Brittany Higgins, who accused a colleague of raping her in Parliament House, says her former boss is now threatening to sue her over an Instagram story. Ms Higgins tweeted yesterday that she'd received a concerns notice from WA Senator Linda Reynolds threatening defamation over an Instagram story. Ms Reynolds issuing a statement saying ever since Ms Higgins made her allegations of rape public, she has been the target of unwarranted criticism and abuse. Ms Reynolds claims Ms Higgins has made yet another defamation post about her and that she's had enough. Miss Higgins says she's now considering her legal options. Australia's Home Affairs Minister has called Donald Trump's son a big baby over claims he cancelled a visit to Australia over visa issues. Donald Trump Jr. was booked on a three-day tour down under, which was supposed to start on Sunday, despite a petition launched to try and get his visit to the country halted. But his people claimed his visa was granted too late and cancelled the tour. Australia's Home Affairs Minister Claire O'Neill tweeted Donald Trump Jr. has been given a visa to come to Australia and he didn't get cancelled. She said, he's just a big baby who isn't very popular, suggesting the cancellation was more due to poor ticket sales rather than any visa red tape. Mark Zuckerberg and his team at Meta launched their new rival Twitter platform Threads yesterday, with more than 10 million people signing up in just seven hours. The platform was not well received by Elon Musk, the current owner of Twitter, who tweeted that he had downloaded the Threads app and that it was terrible, saying it is infinitely preferable to be attacked by strangers on Twitter than indulge in the false happiness of the hide-the-pain Instagram. While the cage fight the two billionaires promised doesn't seem to be eventuating, Zuckerberg also poked fun at Musk on Twitter in just his second tweet since joining the platform in 2012, posting a meme of the two Spider-Men pointing at each other. Belarusian President Alexander Lukashenko has admitted that Wagner mercenary group leader Yevgeny Prigozhin 
is no longer in Belarus as per their recent deal to end the march on Moscow. Lukashenko says the Wagner boss may be in St. Petersburg, where both he and Russian President Vladimir Putin hail from, or even back in Moscow, but he's not in Belarus, and that the deal he brokered that included having the Wagner fighters move to his country also wasn't resolved. Meanwhile, Russian state TV has aired a story showing them raiding Prigozhin's St. Petersburg office and one of his palaces, the host of the show calling the mercenary leader a traitor as they showed bundles of cash, weapons and a collection of wigs at the properties. The company who runs the submersible tours of the Titanic wreck has suspended all exploration after the deaths of one of its founders and four others aboard the Titan submersible last month. Oceangate had planned two more expeditions to the Titanic in June, but the banner on its website reads, Oceangate has suspended all exploration and commercial operations. Meanwhile, US and Canadian authorities are both investigating the cause of the Titan submersible's catastrophic implosion, the disaster raising questions about the lack of regulations covering this type of exploration. That's your latest news headlines in a moment. Today's Deep Dive. Just a heads up before we get started today, friends, that today's episode of The Quickie does discuss suicide. If this is a tough topic for you, please take care when listening. Canberra-born Heather Anderson started playing footy when she was just five years old. But back then, it was NRL, donning a tiny black padded helmet when she took to the field. When she discovered AFL in her early teens, she fell in love with the game, playing alongside the boys until she turned 15, when girls are told they're no longer allowed to participate in mixed-gender teams. So she made the switch to an all-women's AFL team, playing representative football for both the ACT and Northern Territory. When the AFLW was launched in 2016, she would be the 10th pick in the inaugural draft, overcoming a shoulder injury to play in the Adelaide Crows' starting lineup. Anderson was, by this stage, donning a pink helmet every time she took to the field, a habit she'd picked up in her NRL playing days, telling Mamma Mia back in 2017 that it was her vision-impaired mum who got her to switch from the traditional black version. It just gave mum a sense of security, knowing I was a little bit protected out there and I think she never really came to watch me play too much because I would just get absolutely smashed by the boys. She's got a uh, vision impairment. She just sort of struggles to follow me on the field. She turned around to me one day and said, I might be able to actually see you on the field if you spray paint your headgear pink. Because I was such a massive tomboy and I, I hated pink and I hated skirts and all that kind of thing, I, I refused and refused. And then I saw one in the shops and I bought it as a joke and I told her, now that I've bought one, you've got to come watch me play. Anderson wasn't just a footy player. She was also a medic in the army. In one game in Darwin, she swapped that pink helmet for a camo version, supporting the Soldier On cause, a service that supports veterans who've been physically or psychologically affected by their service. She would go on to play eight games in the Adelaide Crows' premiership-winning side in 2017. But grand final day would be bittersweet for the then 22-year-old, dislocating her right shoulder in the win against Brisbane forcing the defender to undergo a second shoulder reconstruction in under a year. The Crows then delisting her ahead of the 2018 season. Four years later, Heather Anderson would end her own life. She was just 28. With consent from her family, Heather's brain was donated to the Australian Sports Brain Bank, who diagnosed her with CTE, chronic traumatic encephalopathy. 
Up to this point, CTE has only ever been diagnosed in male athletes, like with ex-AFL player Danny Frawley, who tragically died in a single vehicle crash in 2019. His wife said she was shocked and frightened by her husband's deterioration in the months before his death. Former Richmond star Shane Tuck was also diagnosed with CTE post-mortem, his sister telling the inquiry into the brain injury that he had no quality of life whatsoever prior to his death in 2020, explaining how he experienced hallucinations and became very confused before eventually losing motor skills. Over in the US, former NFL player Philip Adams, who shot and killed six complete strangers before turning the gun on himself in 2021, was also diagnosed with CTE. Researchers said he was suffering from a particularly severe form of the disease. Eight years before that, another NFL player, Aaron Hernandez, was just 27 when he died by suicide after being convicted of murder. Former NFL star Aaron Hernandez found dead in his prison cell overnight. Apparently, he killed himself. He, too, was suffering from CTE. So what does this mean for women in contact sport? And is there anything players can do to protect themselves from a potential CTE diagnosis? Stephen Townsend is a researcher and lecturer of critical socio-cultural issues in sport at the University of Queensland School of Human Movement and Nutrition Sciences. Stephen, can you briefly explain to those of us without a degree in neuroscience what CTE is, how you get it, and is it only from repeated head knocks? Is that the only way you can get it? So CTE is a degenerative brain disease. The long term for it is chronic traumatic encephalopathy or encephalopathy, depending upon how you want to pronounce it. And you can only get it from repeated brain trauma. That is the current medical understanding of this. So there's been a paper recently released by the Boston University Brain Bank, which states that the strongest correlation between developing chronic traumatic encephalopathy is cumulative brain trauma over time. And you can get chronic traumatic encephalopathy from lots of different types of brain trauma. It doesn't have to be in sport. The brain doesn't care what hits it or how it gets hit. But sport, and particularly contact sport, is obviously a sphere in which you get lots of hits to the head over a long period of time. So particularly if you play from an early age, that's a very good predictor for you developing this really, really dangerous and debilitating brain disease. Is there a real importance on the word repeated here? Like say, like I know I've been knocked unconscious in my time. Would that kick off CTE potentially for someone who's only had, say, a single concussion or can it be, you know, from any head trauma? Yeah, it's a really good question. This knowledge is still under development, but the study that I talked about just before seems to indicate that repeated head trauma is the number one predictor. So there's a really important but also very complicated distinction between repeated head trauma and concussion. So concussion, which we also call a mild traumatic brain injury, doesn't necessarily cause CTE. However, concussion is a pretty good indicator of someone's lifetime accumulation of repeated head trauma. So if you've had a lot of concussions, you've probably also had quite a lot of head trauma over time. So the number one predictor for chronic traumatic encephalopathy is how much trauma and at what intensity your brain has been exposed to over a period of time. So you can have CTE 
and have never had a diagnosed concussion if you've had that long exposure to repeated head injury. Would you know if research is working on a way to diagnose people whilst they're still alive? Because currently you can only find out if you have CTE after you die. So that's not helpful for somebody who is suffering from it. Do we know if the science is working towards helping diagnose it whilst people are alive? Yeah, this is one of the biggest priorities for brain trauma and CTE scientists. The fact that you can only diagnose CTE from brain slices post-death is a huge problem in this space. We'd love to be able to detect CTE in people while they're still alive because there are treatment options that are available and this is a really debilitating disease and people want to know what's happening to their brain, why is their personality changing and if they can know that they have this disease early, some of those treatment options can be made available to them. But unfortunately, that's not the case at the moment. So that's a really big priority. Now, in Heather Anderson's case, this is sort of set a benchmark, not one that she probably would have wanted to have set while she was alive, in being the first to be diagnosed with CTE, the first female athlete to be diagnosed with it. And we know that more women are now exposed to potentially developing this just due to the fact that they're now allowed to play more contact sport and at higher levels. But do we know if women are actually more prone to CTE than men? I mean, I know we're very early in diagnosing women with this. Do we even know that? Whether or not women are more prone to CTE is still under development. We do know that women may be more prone to more severe, prolonged and greater instances of concussion, which is mild traumatic brain injury. So as I said earlier, they're not necessarily the same thing, but there may be some physiological differences, some hormonal differences, and also some really important sociocultural differences between men and women in sport that make women more prone to suffering mild traumatic brain injury. So we don't necessarily know whether or not women are more prone to this specific brain disease, CTE, but there is some evidence to say that women may be more prone to mild traumatic brain injury and brain trauma. Now, the irony in Heather Anderson's diagnosis is that she was amongst a handful of AFLW players who actually wore a helmet. Would that have done anything to help protect her? I mean, she wore it pretty much all the time. Why didn't that help her in this case? Yeah, Heather's helmet, so the bright pink headgear that she wore became a bit of a trademark. She was a much-loved player for the Crows during her career, really well-liked by her teammates and sort of beloved in that community. And that pink headgear that she wore was a symbol of that. Unfortunately, it's unlikely that it did anything to prevent her chronic traumatic encephalopathy or any of the concussions that she might have suffered. We think that she probably suffered up to four concussions during her football career that were diagnosable. Helmets do nothing to prevent mild traumatic brain injury. And there is some evidence from the United States that helmets may actually increase the severity and incidence of concussion. So helmets won't stop your brain from rattling around inside your skull. What it will do is it will prevent fractures and higher grade traumatic brain injuries, so these kind of structural injuries that we see, it does very little, if anything, to prevent concussion. What implications does Heather Anderson's diagnosis have on women who are playing contact sport right now? I know that with men, we have issues where, you know, coaches and staff are told to protect players and that's why we have, you know, concussion rules, etc. But we know that players themselves often don't protect themselves. They underreport when they're suffering issues with concussion. What implications do we have with women's contact sport now that we know what Heather Anderson was going through? Women have been playing contact sport in Australia for for the last century. I think that's something that we need to be 
clear about is that this is not a new phenomenon. Women have been playing contact sport in really competitive ways for a very long time, but it's only been in the last 10 years where some of those resource gaps have started to close and we're seeing women playing in professional and semi-professional capacities, which is a really good thing. And we've got a chance now to structure these leagues in such a way that women's bodies are considered, where sports science is considered in a female-specific and a women-specific and a gender non-binary folk-specific way, where we understand how women's bodies and how non-binary bodies interact with exercise, interact with brain injury in a specific way. So hopefully what this diagnosis does is it prompts more research and it also prompts coaches, it prompts athletes, it prompts parents, it prompts sports trainers, officials, administrators to start taking brain injury in sport more broadly seriously, but particularly in women's sport as well. Because what we've seen is that this disease does not discriminate. This is an equal opportunity killer, and it's something that we need to be wary of in both women's and men's leagues. After reading the headlines about Heather Anderson's diagnosis this week, there may be some understandably very nervous sporting women taking to the field this weekend. But other than never playing a contact sport again, is there anything we can do to protect ourselves from a potential CTE diagnosis? Yes, and there's work that's being done by the sporting leagues, by governments and policymakers to try and make sport safer. As you said, we have the solution to this issue already, but it's not a solution that anyone really wants to take, and that is to stop playing contact sport. But we know that sport and contact sports particularly have some real benefits for us. You know, they're fun, they potentially have some health benefits for us, there's social interaction that comes out of them. I mean, they're culturally and economically really important. So nobody wants to stop playing contact sports, but that is realistically the solution here. Nobody wants to take that solution. So the sporting leagues and governments, policymakers have been enacting rule changes. We've got independent doctors and concussion watches in some of the professional leagues. What we don't see is some of those rule changes, gameplay changes, and medical personnel filtering down into the recreational and semi-professional leagues. So there's lots of attention on the AFLW, there's lots of attention on the AFL, the NRL, the NRLW, these people who are at the tip of the spear, but we don't see it on the parks on the weekend. So there needs to be a more consistent approach all the way down, particularly in kids sports as well, because we know that that's when brains are at their most vulnerable. The Quickie is produced by myself, Claire Murphy, and our executive producer, Callie Borg, with audio production by Tom Lyne.